the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul Spain. I'm Tim Haywood. And I'm Alistair Cook. Welcome along, gents. Great to have you both here. Uh, Tim, let's start with you. Where do you fit into this world of uh, technology and telecommunications in New Zealand? Uh, I look after the uh, mobile device range and portfolio at uh, two degrees. Great. And Alistair? I'm in the enterprise technology part of our our community, and I'm particularly involved in virtualization, the community around that. So I'm involved in the V Brown Bay podcast that teaches other people who work in this space more and gives them that free education, as well as uh, doing consulting and writing work around virtualization and data center. And being a, a pretty um, extensive user of uh, technologies of all sorts yourself, as you're, you know, while you're travelling around the world and at home. Oh, I travel with a fair pile of technology and a lot of charges. Cool. Well, let's uh, let's jump straight in. First up, I wanted to talk about the new uh, announcements from Amazon in the last few days. Uh, now, these don't directly relate to New Zealand immediately because we're we're seeing, although their uh, their new devices are available for pre-order. They don't seem to uh, initially being ship- available to ship to New Zealand, but they have got a little bit of a coup in that they're launching a US $50 7-inch Android tablet. What's your take on this, Alistair? I mean, you've, you've used tablets in the, you know, the smaller form factor sort of sizes, but I don't, I've never come across anybody that's uh, bought a tablet this cheap and, uh, and has not it, regretted it. And not regretted it. Uh, but... Amazon jumping into this space and looking at the specs and so on, you would expect they would be pretty cautious around launching something that's not going to be uh, usable, right? Well, their their Fire tablets haven't exactly been speed demons. They've not been aimed at you or I as the the high-tech person, but they've been aimed at the typical Amazon customer who is Amazon mums. And so performance isn't the biggest thing, but looking at the spec, this is not too bad. It's got a quad-core CPU, it's got a gig of RAM. The screen's a little bit low res, but at $50, it's pretty cheap. And they have this amazing six-pack. You can buy six of them for the price of five, and it comes in a little little carrier that you could uh, take home from the Amazon supermarket if such a thing existed. So, uh, yeah, order a set for your uh, family and friends. Well, the implication is that you can buy six tablets for the price of what I'd expect to pay for one tablet and just hand them around like they're almost a disposable device. Yeah, it's pretty enticing. Tim, what's your thought on having a, a tablet this sort of price point? I mean, presumably if they do show up in New Zealand, they're probably going to be uh, you know, a little bit more than that by the time you know, this is a price pre-tax and so on. So you'd imagine it'd be you know, $100 maybe in New Zealand, maybe a bit more. Uh, yeah, and this sounds like a pretty good spec for that price compared to, um, as you said, whatever else is around. Um, you know, I guess I, I've certainly found... Um, my tablet use has actually dropped from having a large screen phone, and I think that seems to be a trend that uh, is being reflected elsewhere. So, uh, you know, I guess if you've got the content story from Amazon tied into it, and it's not something that I'm familiar with, then I guess it's got a lot of use to you. But as just a standalone seven-inch tablet, it, you know, I, I still think it could struggle. Yeah, I mean, Amazon are pretty good at selling big numbers of uh, of devices. That said, they didn't do quite so well with their Fire Phone, did they, Tim? Uh, as I understand it, no, that's right. <laughs> it was a bit, it was a bit of bombed a little bit, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the price point here is 
as enough to pull a lot of people in that maybe haven't bothered with a tablet for a while or maybe haven't upgraded their tablet for a while. Um, one thing to bear in mind is it does uh, run um, OS, what they call OS 5 uh Bellini, which is their Amazon sort of variant on Android, um, so it's basically their equivalent of um, of Android Five, um, and it does lack uh, the Amazon Play Store. So, um, uh, sorry, the um, Google the Google Play Store, uh, and it and it gives you uh, Amazon's uh, store. So there are some variances there, but at that sort of price point, you know, I think. Uh, People take what they can get, and in terms of something that's running, uh, you know, a pretty fresh version of Android at that sort of price point, uh, there's probably not going to be a, you know, a huge amount of competition for it. Uh, certainly from a major manufacturer, anyway. Yeah, mm. and it looks like a, a device that will actually work and is heading towards the disposable price, where you don't really care if it only lasts for six months. Well, yeah, I think you know when you, the the interesting thing about Amazon is they're pretty good with their customer service. So if you you know if you had an issue, then they tend to look after people anyway. And I heard uh, uh, actually it was Mauricio from Geek Zone recently was telling me that uh, he had his uh, what was it um, a a device from Amazon. I th- I think it might have been uh, his Kindle. And maybe he got left on the roof of the car or left somewhere. And so he called them up and said, look, I've lost it. Uh, you know, what are my options? And they immediately offered him a uh, 50% discount on, on a new one. Um, yeah, which was, um, was you know, pretty, pretty generous because they're, they're reasonably priced devices anyway. So. Well, I mean, what, what do you think the uptake is of the... Amazon content services in New Zealand. Are many people using it? I think locally, probably not a not a whole lot on on their content. But you know, even so, if people are going to maybe buy a, a little bit more through that, uh, then that helps them. But yeah, they're very focused on the US, uh, UK, those those bigger markets, and they are on uh, on the New Zealand market. Uh, but yeah, if you've got your uh, your Amazon uh, subscription. Then you get yeah their their free Netflix uh, competitor. So um, having a little device like this, you can watch it on for uh, next to nothing. Ain't uh, ain't too mm. bad. Yeah. Um. Now, Uber and uh, its competitors. There's been a little bit uh, just in the in the last couple of days around uh, what's what's going on uh, in this sort of ride sharing space. Uh, from companies other than other than Uber, and uh, it's a little bit unusual because we're we're used to uh, if there's really any any interesting news going on, uh, that's designed to uh, kill off the traditional taxi companies. It's uh, it's usually Uber we're hearing from. So yeah, it was interesting to uh, hear that their uh, arch rival in the US, uh, Lyft, have uh, teamed up with their uh, competitor in China and uh, they're basically going to be launching so that if you've got the the Lyft app from the US you'll be able to go to China and and, and access uh, the cars that are that are available there and if you're from China and you've got the uh, the Chinese app and you're in the US uh, you'll be able to access the uh, the pool of cars available from Lyft I think that makes quite a lot of sense actually because uh, you know Lyft haven't been 
focused really outside of the U- the US in terms of their expansion. It's been you know very much as far as I'm aware all inside the US. Uh, so this this allows uh, uh, that that scaling on a global basis and uh, maybe holds uh, holds Uber back a little bit. What do you, you could you must use Uber when you when you're travelling a, a bit, Alistair? I do. Uh, Uber's extremely useful, although there are some fairly significant holes in its coverage. That's uh, it's still illegal in Spain. So when I'm in Barcelona next month, I'm going to have to be careful about how I pick up Uber lifts and Vancouver where, which was another city I've been in recently has no Uber service and they actually as you open the Uber app when you arrive at Vancouver International Airport they say here's a petition to get Uber service here but I think the key thing here is that Uber does have plans for global domination effectively for on-demand delivery of services and it's important that there be competition for this we can't support a, a state where there is only one company doing this globally so I'm I'm very keen to see that, that Lyft and uh, this Chinese company Didi Kawaii has, has joined particularly since the Chinese companies just raised $3 billion worth of funding and that gives it a big That's war chest to go it? against Uber, it's a lot of money what, what about Lyft versus Uber, have you used Lyft? I've not used Lyft and I've not talked to anybody who uses Lyft so I really don't know what they're like in, in comparison. I know there are plenty of drivers who will drive for multiple services and will just accept whatever job comes up for them. And you see these drivers who have three or four iPhones uh, mounted in the, in the cab of their car. Yeah, I've discussed it uh, in the US with some people, and, and it seems very similar type of service in, in most cases. And, you know, the the two definitely having the competition, I think, uh, you know, helps from a driver perspective and also a, a customer uh, perspective. So, you know, it does seem to make sense. There, you know, are some challenges for the likes of you and I trying to access uh, Lyft. I don't know if you've come across this, Alistair, if you've ever tried, but when I tried, so I could actually do that comparison, I found that it wouldn't accept a New Zealand credit card. So, you know, they... They actually need to fix that up because you know a lot of people travel into the US who would probably use their service if they could. Uh, whereas with Uber, it's you know it's extremely easy and you don't have uh, such a limitation. Yeah, Uber was excellent as a safety net for my wife travelling with me earlier this year. That I could leave her alone and know that no matter what happened, she could get back to the hotel simply by calling an Uber. It was was a really good safety thing for her travelling, um, essentially being left alone while I was at a conference. Now, uh, jumping into other topics, I, um, we're expecting a whole lot of new devices to come through uh, in relation to Windows 10 and uh, also in relation to uh, the next generation of uh, chips from Intel. Uh, this week we've heard some little leaks around a new 8-inch uh, uh, tablet from Hewlett-Packard, uh, apparently called the NV8 Note, and this was actually uh, leaked on uh, a Hewlett Packard uh, or HP website for which country was it? Alistair? Switzerland, actually. Switzerland. Yeah, so uh, they they accidentally apparently put this information online, and it looks like a good uh, a good concept that we haven't seen uh, in terms of a Windows tablet before. So it brings together an eight inch tablet, a keyboard, and a stylus. So very much designed to be that uh, you know little portable. Um, 
uh, notepad type device that you'll be able to use with varying note t- you know, taking uh, applications uh, Evernote and OneNote uh, and also a bundled app from uh, HP so more than likely we'll see that one announced uh, over the over the next few weeks really innovative thing that they've done is not constrain the, the size of the keyboard to match the size of the tablet because I've used a lot of small tablets with the really small keyboards and you can't get a lot of work done with an, a the tiny keyboard. keyboard the size of an eight inch tablet so they're they're going for a large one which i think is a great thing and it looks like it's going to function as a nice stand for the tablet as well which is something that i like in a, in a keyboard for a mobile device tim have you used this type of you know a, a, a windows device with a stylus or a you know converged sort of two-in-one tablet at all look I've, I've i've had a little bit of time with a you know with a surface pro and they've certainly got a lot of traction um amongst colleagues of mine really using them now instead of laptops a lot of people taking them up as their only device and that would be the only question i'd have is you know can a product like this still become your only um you know your laptop replacement or your only device? Is it, is it powerful enough and obviously you're probably going to want to hook up to a bigger screen any time you can um, so what's that experience like with that? The keyboard's going to be fine for typing, but I guess what's it like looking at the, you know, at an 8-inch screen while using a keyboard? Is is that a good match? Yeah, it's it's interesting. You know, I think, partic- and in part because of the cost of some of these devices, although this one looks as though it's more going to be um, at a, yeah, probably $1,000 New Zealand price point from uh, looking, looking exchange rate-wise and so on. Um, but we're sort of getting to that point where you you pick the device for what you want to do at a given time so you know you've got your laptop maybe at your desk that you take for certain things you've got a tablet for this you use your your smartphone for other things and you get away with what you can get away with it uh you know depending on the the situation i suppose alistair with your you know uh pretty regular travel i think you were saying you've been uh, away from home about 150 uh, days this year um what's working for you in terms of what you travel with do you travel with just your phone and one device or are you are you carrying multiple uh yeah other devices well i quite a lot of my travel is to make video production at conferences and so it's not unusual for me to travel with three laptops a tablet and a phone uh, but if I'm not doing that video production, which is what two of the laptops are for, I often will take it my 13-inch MacBook Air uh, up until I lost it, my 8-inch um, uh, iPad Mini, and just to, to mix things up, my Note 4 as my phone. And the, those that combination is quite good. I really liked getting Office 365 subscription, allowing me to use Word on the, uh, on the uh, iPad, with a Logitech Bluetooth keyboard, and that that's actually a really good combination for a portable writing kit. It's much easier to transport around than a full laptop, but I still use a full laptop when I need something more advanced. So I, because I work in enterprise tech, I do a lot of things with virtual machines, and an iPad is not good enough for that. I also connect to Windows systems remotely, and an iPad is not a great experience for that because it has no mouse support. Love to see mouse support on iOS. Yeah, you wonder why they haven't dropped that in, and maybe there'll be there'll be something there with the iPad Pro uh, where they they well, they, they the offer that. Pro. You don't need a mouse if you've got you know, a pencil. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that'll be that'll be curious. Um, now, last year Microsoft uh, decided to uh, join the companies offering wearables and launch their uh, Microsoft Band. 
uh, didn't become available in many countries. Uh, but uh, yeah, technically a reasonably capable uh, device, and we've just uh, just seen in the last couple of days a uh, a leak of their uh, their next generation uh, band, which has a, a curved screen to it. Uh, look, you know, looks like it will be a little bit more uh, comfortable than the the current model. The current model, you know, has, has worked reasonably well. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of interesting. Tim, do you think there's uh, value for Microsoft to be in this in this space? I mean, they uh, they don't have a huge share in the phone space, but with devices like this, they're operating on a similar level to how they are with their software, and that'll be compatible with every platform. So you could use your Microsoft Band to track your fitness and so on, and it doesn't matter yeah you know, whether you're on iPhone, Android, or or on Windows. Do you think they can win any share here? Well, I think probably the the challenge for them is what's their, you know, larger play in consumer electronics at the moment. And and I think, um, you know, it's fair to say that that uh, Windows Phone has been struggling, you know, for a couple of years. Um, and you know, how do you just add in a band, and then what's your story? So if you think about in-store experience, if you go into a you know, a large store that's got some great displays from other vendors. What's that display going to look like around the band or the phone in the band and how do they tell that story of, you know, how they work together and, and what they're going to do for you? I think, it, you know, it's getting tougher and tougher for for, uh, for Microsoft. Um, and, um, you know, there are certain products going, you know, really well, like the Surface Pro, but then, you know, what's happening on the, you know, on the phone side and then the wearable side. It's pretty hard to see how you do wearables without the phones at this stage. I could say I disagree with you. I think the, the wearables that work with multiple phone types is, is a really significant thing. So I have an Android phone and an Android watch, and I'm then contemplating, well, I've moved everything else to the Apple ecosystem. If I get an iPhone, then I'm also going to need to replace my watch. I think Microsoft's making a smart play here in having a device that works across multiple uh, Ecosystems, multiple devices that it'll synchronize with, so I think it's it's a good play, and this this is a much better looking device than the the last one that they had. Although it still has that big bulky clasp piece uh, that sits on the inside of your wrist, that I think is is going to be uh, quite uncomfortable and inconvenient for people. Well, it's it's going to work fine, but I, but I think my point was that how are you going to get retailers to make a great job of displaying it if it's the only if there's just you know one Microsoft product are you you going to sit alongside android phones or you know iphones how's that going to look in store how's that going to work yeah so i was in 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 the u.s and when i go there i like to have a wander around the best buy stores because they're a large electronics retailer and they have just racks of wearables and i I guess your point is how do you differentiate in that that rack of wearable one for another Uh, this looks as as has been pointed out a lot like the uh, samsung gear fit because of the the shaping and styling, the, yeah, the curved uh, yeah. widescreen, wide yeah. yeah, and that yeah. device is still on, on the racks in, in Best Buy in the states now, and uh, yeah, most of those wearables aren't selling particularly well, right? Um, you know, we've we, we've yeah. got Fitbit, which sells you know a lot of devices, but a lot of their cheaper devices that aren't actually a, a watch type of device so they are very just fitness, very focused. fitness focused, right? And then uh, and then at the other end of the scale. Uh, Apple, who are selling a lot of devices, which brings us on to uh, WatchOS 2, which has just arrived. So um, it's actually still, if I have a look here, uh, it's still downloading for uh, for me. So 
I can't say too much about the experience, but uh, we'll talk a little bit about that one. Uh, even while it's upgrading, though, it's very elegant on your wrist. Uh, very nice. Well, Looks I think good. that's one of the that's one of the reasons why I've tended to actually keep wearing it. It's a, it's a reasonably nice looking uh, looking bit of uh, well, you got the accessory I jewelry. Got the, um, Colleague of mine's got them, the the matte black with the mm, black mm. strap. Very understated. It actually looks quite cool as well. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, I mean, Apple have taken a particular approach that is quite unique to what everybody else is uh, is, is doing. And, yeah, uh, it, it's just going to be curious to see how uh, how that plays out longer term. But, you know, I think at the moment it's it's about getting the software right. And so the fact that they're... they're, they're uh, I was going to say an, another bite of the apple. That's probably the wrong thing to say, but another, uh, you know, they, they've got the same hardware and they're doing a refresh already on the software side so quickly after launch. I think makes a lot of sense to uh, to try and improve it. And I haven't heard a lot of comments yet of people being blown away by the new software, but the fact that they're doing it and maybe we'll have another update within another uh, few months if Apple keeps doing that. Uh, and no doubt there'll be another hardware refresh next year. Um, it's it's going to get better and better, I presume. Well, what's been the best things for you about using the watch? Um, well, actually, uh, in the last few days, because I've uh, damaged my iPhone, uh, the best thing has been that it uh, tells the time uh, gloriously well and uh, gives me the, the basic information. Um, I, I really think that they've, these, uh, these updates are really important to the future of the Apple Watch because it was quite clunky on some things previously. And so, you know, delivering more capabilities where you can use the watch without your phone. So, you know, with this update, you know, streaming, you're putting, uh, you know, putting music across onto the watch. And so you can, yeah, you, know, you can take it out while you're exercising and so on. Yeah, you know, a few more things that you can do without being connected back to your phone, I think, is, uh, is useful. But, you know, basic things like being reminded what, what events you've got coming up and, you know, having that, that's useful, I think, on any of the smart watches. We see, you know, similar uh, things there. And that ability to give you that alert sort of on your skin on incoming uh, calls that you might miss with a phone in your pocket. On the flip side, you can very easily have way too many notifications on your on your wrist, and so I, I ended up turning off most of them because it was uh, it was just too distracting. Al, you're wearing uh, what do you got there? I've got the LG G Watch R, which I've had for about six months now, and really like. I've, I've, I've it's not on my wrist. I notice it's not there. And this is coming off having not worn a, a watch for three years before I bought this one. I like it for glanceable information, so I've got a watch face that shows me the weather forecast as well as uh, some battery stats for both the watch and my phone as well as some fitness stats. And when I first looked at the watch face, I thought that's just too much information, but it's now that I've gotten used to it, it's very useful glanceable information. And I really like not having to, to pull my big Note 4 out of my pocket or out of a bag usually because it's too large to go in a pocket most of the time. I like not having to do that for some email that I know I have no action to take on it for a while. So I'm really liking the watch. I like also the the navigation. So when I'm overseas, if I'm if I'm in a place for a while, I'll rent a car and use my phone to do navigation. But it's a little easier to see the directions on on the watch. Or as you're walking around in town in a place where you don't want to bring a thousand dollar phone out and in your hand, it can be nice just to get those those directions on your wrist for how to get out of that area. Particularly important when you go to conferences in San Francisco. <laughs> Very good. All right, now uh, 
one other topic which is is down the apple front uh, as well is uh, they've been caught in a in a spot of bother um due to there being a uh, a, a dodgy version of uh, the Xcode uh, software, and this is the software that is used to make uh, apps for the iPhone and iPad and so on. And uh, what what we've been told by the uh, the varying media reports, and there's, there's a been you know, a bunch of coverage around this topic online, is that in China uh, the speed at which people can download the official software from Apple is very slow. So they use other mechanisms to down so download uh, Apple's development software, and uh, so what's happened is there's been some um, some dodgy versions of the um, the development software that have been uh, downloaded by a lot of developers by the looks of it, and some rather big apps uh, have ended up being uh, been sort of run through the software before they were uploaded uh, to the App Store. And that's led to what is being suggested in the direction of 500 million users uh, on iPhone, uh, iPad, and uh, maybe iPod Touch, who have uh, yeah ended up with um, uh, infected applications on their uh, devices. Seems uh, pretty major to me. It's uh, sort of the first thing that we've really had of this, you know, of, of a major scale. Uh, in terms of malware uh, on iOS before. We're sort of used to hearing the stories on Android, although I've never heard anything of this scale on Android. Uh, but, yeah, this is uh, it's kind of huge. Yeah, it's a bit of a worry that this these apps that have been built using a corrupted version of uh, Apple's development tool have actually gone through the screening process. The screening process clearly doesn't include all of the libraries that are included with the applications that are uploaded into the, the App Store. Something's not right there, and is it? Yeah, it's, it's, there's been an assumption by the security and screening teams that's proven to be wrong. And this is fundamentally how they, the hackers get ahead. It's not that the people who develop the applications have done anything wrong. They th- thought they were getting Apple's tools. It's somebody else has set out this infected set of tools that, are then, that were then distributed through a heap of different places by the look of it. What are your thoughts on this, Tim? Uh, look, not being a uh, developer expert, I'm quite enjoying reading, uh, reading just here about uh, it being called compiler malware. Seems to be a great new category of uh, yeah. malware affecting the developer and then flowing on to the uh, to the users. It yeah, it does seem that there are some fundamental issues with with how you can even compile an app and upload it. Um, it's it's it seems quite incredible, and you know I I can't imagine many people would be impacted in the same way in future because people will be much more cautious around where where. Uh, they they download from in terms of the developers they're going to be cautious making sure they're getting Apple's correct software but it does highlight that we could see other malware getting onto machines that will do, you know inject dodgy code when developers are compiling their apps and submitting them uh, to the App Store one of the ones that's mentioned is uh, WeChat which apparently uh, that's the one that I think has some uh, 500 million mm. users so that 500 million figure might be completely I mean, that was just in this article I'm looking at on Ars Technica. That might be completely wrong in terms of the number of users that are actually using, uh, you know, or were using that version of the software on an iOS device. That might be all of their users across all platforms. 
Um, so that that number um, take a little bit with a grain of salt, but you know, it's still that, that potential that an app could get infected and then get uploaded to uh, to the app store um, on whatever platform is is possibly something we'll see a bunch more of. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to also know what. Um you know what's the relationship between Apple and those developers now? If they have they, you know, have they contravened licenses, and I guess they're having their developer uh, accounts closed down, and, and then they're going to have to go and reopen them again. Well, hopefully, Apple are making changes to their processes of validation rather than cutting off the poor developer who's been yeah. really been the man in the middle caught in this. They've been caught in the crossfire between the the people who released this Xcode ghost and uh, and the whatever nefarious purposes the data is being used for. Mm. Curiously, the uh, this Xcode Ghost software um, somehow was able to bypass uh, warnings because the Mac these days is locked down that you know, generally uh, by default you can't just uh, go ahead and install you know random software. Uh, you know it's got to have been sort of signed off or it's got to have come from the the uh, the app store. Uh, so there are some hoops to jump through there, and it seems like uh, here the people that have put this malware together have actually worked out uh, how to maybe suppress those warnings or, or, or address them in the uh, in the install process. Yeah, my guess is that there are some some libraries that are part of Xcode that are distributed with the developed application, and Apple has assumed that if you're using those libraries, they're Apple's version of those libraries. They haven't validated that and that what Apple will need to do is add that validation to the process and it, it shouldn't be a difficult for the thing for them to do and therefore get rid of all of these things that are in their app store. Kind of curious anyway. Mm. Um, so, Definitely uh, a new attack vector. Yes, but yeah, fascinating to see Apple, who are, you know have generally sort of been considered, um, you know, setting the, setting the standard in terms of uh, security on our mobile devices. Generally, you've you know been pretty relaxed around. Well, you know, look if it's a, if it's an iPhone, their, their security's been you know put together in a good way. Mm-hmm. They're very cautious about what goes into the app store, but you know here. Um, you know, we, we've basically seen security exploited across the Mac, across the App Store, uh, and and actually apps on devices. So, sort of numerous places. So, not uh, not great press for uh, for Apple. Uh, now, well, I, th- I think I think also this whole area of whether you know do users need to be running anything on their devices, and I'm not saying it would have caught in this terms case of antivirus software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's always a bit of a chicken and egg, isn't it? It's hard to know whether you need to be running additional security um, until something happens. Yeah, so one of the companies that's listed in this article is, is Lookout, and I've, they have an app that, go, that I've used on my Android device that will scan through the installed apps and say, hey, these ones here are dodgy and this one is absolutely dangerous and these ones are, you just got to be careful of. Yep. And that's a, a really useful thing to have and that, that we may well start to see turning up for Apple. You would tend to think that that type of capability should be able to be, you know, developed at an operating system level that, you know, Apple would only get the the good, safe apps. And that's kind of what we've believed in the past. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, today thing, things change a little bit. And so, you it's, know, we, we might be uh, a little bit more curious about, about that type of app. Um, but, uh, you know, on the flip side, how much access can an app like that have to actually check you know how tidy your device is, and you know, and and so on, because there is a, you know, certainly more on the, um, 
well, it should happen on all the operating systems, but there should be enough independence that one app can't sort of get in and find out too much about the rest of, of what's yeah. on your phone. And I think this particular um, attack vector Apple will close very quickly and we'll, we'll get our faith back that the apps that we get from the App Store are, are legit and that uh, Apple is doing a good job of protecting us. Now, uh, we've talked about uh, WatchOS 2 from, uh, from Apple, and I'm just going to uh, check in on my install. I must have... Uh, maybe I've jumped on the wrong Wi-Fi network there. Let me, uh, let me see if that's uh, finished. No, it's got uh, a few more minutes remaining, so... We're going to have to keep talking until the end of it because everyone wants to know what happens, <laughs> even if it takes four so, hours. Before uh, yeah, we yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks yeah, for yeah. that. Um, so, yeah, we're we're nearly there. Before it was saying uh, it was saying three hours. Now it's saying seventeen minutes. So I think that's a uh, that's a good sign. It's it's moved along reasonably quickly. So maybe everyone in the world is trying to uh, trying to update their uh, their watches at once. Uh, but we've also got iOS uh, 9 that has arrived, and we've got it here on uh, on uh, iPhone 6 Plus. We've got it there on, uh, uh, what have we got, the new iPod uh, Touch, The I think it's the sixth uh, generation. And uh, we've got it here on a um, fancy iPad Air as well. So... Um Oh, and uh, Al's been locked out by the uh, by the by the secret uh, the secret code on the uh, uh, on the iPod. Um, but we've had a little bit of a look around at it, and um, yeah, Tim, maybe you could sort of you know share your thoughts on the, the couple of the couple of things that sort of stood out for you in, in terms of being different. We mentioned keyboards before. How did um, yeah? Well, look, I've, I mean, I've only been a, a iPhone user for a couple of months, really, and um, the most frustrating thing coming from the Android world to the iOS world was was not having the lowercase keys on the keyboard. It actually took me some time to get over that. And when you talk to people who've been iPhone users their whole life, they actually don't really understand what you're talking about. They've got so used to the arrow and which one means uppercase, which one means lowercase, but it, it did take me a while. But uh, hey, presto, on iOS 9, we've got the um, lowercase keys back. It uh, seems like a small thing, but it's um, made my life a lot easier. It feels a little snappier, actually, in general. I just think everyone's everything's got a little bit more of a zip to it. Um, uh, there's you know quite a lot of tweaks in, in various icons um, in the dialer, um, bringing up sort of options to call people more quickly. Um, the left swipe from the front screen, which is now bringing up some contact shortcuts, some some recently used apps shortcuts, as well as a new news uh, section here with uh, a few key headlines. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. It, I guess it's sort of a typical update. There are lots of you know little things. Probably nothing that's completely uh, earth-shattering. See an update that's needed for the uh, the iPhone 6s and 6s uh, Plus that launch in New Zealand Friday at 8 a.m. If anyone wants to uh, wants to queue up, then uh, you'd need to be queuing up by then. Of course, there's a guy in Sydney who's already been queuing up for uh, a couple of weeks, I think, uh, before Apple's uh, announcement. He decided he was going to queue up first, and I think he was hoping that uh, it was going to get launched very soon thereafter, and it's one of these usual uh, stories. The person at the front of the queue wants to uh, promote a, a, a cause or a, a, a business and so on, so he thought he'd get some international coverage, which he did because he was yeah, queuing... Um, I think more than uh, more than three weeks in advance of the uh, of the, of the launch. So uh, I hope uh, he, I hope he gets the rose gold. Two or three weeks. Otherwise, no one's going to know that he's uh, got the S. Yes. Well, 
it's true. It's not quite so uh, not quite so obvious with this uh, being a, an S update, is it? That you've got the new device from the outside. That's right. And New Zealand back in in the Wave One countries. So that's uh, very pleasing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've moaned a little bit about uh, New Zealand being bumped down the list, and we certainly were for the Apple Watch. Uh, what was it? Two months, I think, uh, uh, behind. So. Yeah, curious that we've been moved. Uh, we've been moved back up uh, to the front of the uh, front of the launch queue. Um, anything else about the um, iOS nine? That sort of covers it for you. Yeah, look, uh, um, I, I there's, think there's the ad block side of it. Have you had a play with that? I haven't actually. No. So there's a bunch of uh, these apps now in the uh, in the app store. They've um, some of them are starting to to rank quite well um, and interestingly one of the most popular uh, ones the Peace Ad Blocker software um, has been withdrawn already uh, the maker of it uh, Marco Arment um, says the success of it doesn't feel good and uh, he has he, he's quite an un, unusual uh, developer um, co-founder of uh, Tumblr amongst other things and uh, yeah, he likes to do things his own way, and uh, yeah, I guess he's he's got some sort of uh, moral uh, issue around blocking ads, and uh, he's decided to um, to take his app out of the app store. Um, but I, I've seen all sorts of sort of comments already. Um, you know, it's, obviously it was available in, in uh, beta as well, but uh, you know, people saying that uh, it does make a big difference to their load times and. Uh, I guess means they're using less mobile data. How do you feel about that, Tim? Less uh, mobile data uh, business for two degrees for your uh, iPhone customers? Oh, look, I'm, I'm sure they're still watching plenty of uh, videos and YouTube videos and movies and, you know, loading, watching Netflix on their big screens, so I think we'll be all right. Freeze them up to do other things, huh? Indeed. Yeah, but, I mean, that that to me is, is I think, definitely going to be enticing for people, isn't it? If you can really lighten the... The amount of data that you use and speed things up um, by using these ad blockers, you know, it, it, it seems likely these things are going to be uh, incredibly popular. Yeah, I'll have to give it a go. Have to have a play. Um, Al, would you use? Do you use any ad blockers or anything like that on um, on Android at all? I don't. Uh, I, I I'm I, not sure if they exist. I personally haven't looked for them, but. There's been so much media do. around this uh, on on iOS. I think that's you know it's just that's why everyone's aware of them. But uh, you would think that they would they would exist elsewhere. I would expect so. I I don't use ad blockers on my PCs either, uh, primarily because I just haven't seen a, a big problem with with the page load times that I think are driven by by ads. But uh, what we do see is a lot of well designed websites are then ruined by high data volume ads and we sometimes see ads that that are compressed into a tiny window a really huge image and that's the sort of thing where it seems very wasteful the way the advertising is run and that's that's why some of the ad blocking software is so beneficial Uh, possibly if the ads were more carefully and more more thoughtfully done that we wouldn't see the popularity of the ad blockers and so there wouldn't be that that uh, kind of quandary for the developer who who thinks that he might have created something that's less than perfect. Yeah, um, 
I've had, just had a, had a quick look, and there there are comments around uh, you know ad blockers having been, and there's a number available for Android, um, but around I think it was ad blocker uh, plus that was launched on Android in uh, uh, 2013, and then got uh, got blocked by uh, uh, or yeah kicked out of the app store by uh, by Google. But cer- yeah, certainly seems there's um, there are a number of options uh, from the Android perspective. So. Yeah, of course Google's going to be unhappy if you remove advertising. That's how they make their money. That's their business, isn't it? So uh, yeah, you can you can sort of under- understand that. Um, and there's uh, one. Uh, there was one example online I've already seen where content is being blocked uh, if you have ad block in place. So uh, we you get a, you'll actually get a pop up. Um, this case was somebody trying to watch a video online, and it says uh, you know this video is unavailable. Uh, we're unable to to load the message from the sponsors. If you're using ad blocking software, please disable it and reload the page because that's how they pay for their videos. So. Obviously, there are there are some approaches like that uh, where you you may get blocked from visiting or accessing varying content uh, on that basis. But you know, I think this will be a bit of a push for uh, you know publishers around the world to be maybe putting up more paywalls. And we know it's coming here in New Zealand, and uh, we're we're expecting uh, yeah New Zealand Herald and and stuff to be. Uh, raising those paywalls in the not too distant future uh and you know i would imagine this would just accelerate that wouldn't it because uh, they've they've got to get some return if you're visiting their uh, their site well it costs money to create good content and somebody has to pay for it and that's that's essentially what the advertising is doing is paying for the generation of the content and yeah there, there isn't a sustainable model if you're not giving a return to your sponsors hmm. what do you think tim well, you, you know, you're asking the user to make uh, to make an interesting value decision, aren't you? Between you know the importance of the content versus my experience in loading that content. Um, I, you know, an ad blocker is going to be a pretty cumbersome way of having to go back out, disable it, go back and reload the page. It, that doesn't feel to me like it's going to work as an experience. Uh, but yeah, look, it's a fascinating space. Well, I, I would think content publishers could use that to you know promote to people that are maybe running the ad blocker promoting the paid version which sort of says look you can either turn off your ad blocker and we'll give you the content with advertising or look you know follow through here and and sign up and pay for a subscription and it's no problem for you to have an ad blocker on uh, because as soon as you're uh, you're paying we, we get rid of that content anyway um, so yeah it might might help push uh, push people a little bit towards the subscriptions but uh, we will see I'm uh, so yeah, it's only I'm through it's only, it's only through a browser, is that right? That it's blocking browser-based ads. I take it app app inserted ads are still fine. They're still going to come through, right? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that. I think it operates at a at a lower level. So my my expectation uh, was, and I haven't delved into that. It's a very it's a very good point. Was that uh, it may well happen in app as well? So. Um, that's, that's, that's a good that's question. The way the, the the PC-based ad blockers work is they'll block entire sites, no matter what's trying to access. However, it. you're trying to get to them. Yeah, yeah. So if you're pulling an ad through, yeah, an app, you would, yeah, you'd expect it to get blocked too. So, hmm. Um, now, a couple of other things. Uh, we are seeing uh, Oyster, a site being shut down. 
This was when we heard about it being launched, I think probably a couple of years ago. Uh, it was referred to as the Netflix, flick, Netflix of books. So you could pay a uh, fixed monthly fee and get access to their, uh, their, their, their e-books uh, on an unlimited sort of uh, basis. Uh, now we understand that uh, a big, a large chunk of their staff are moving to Google. So I think uh, Google is suggesting that it's not an acquisition, but it looks like a, some variation on an acquisition of sorts. And uh, you know, a chunk of uh, the, those staff from uh, from Oyster are headed to uh, to Google. Uh, and also on the Google front, uh, they have an event coming up uh, next week. Next, or it'll be Wednesday, New Zealand time, so uh, 29th in the US and uh, September the 30th uh, here in New Zealand. And uh, all the reports point to um, one or two uh, new Nexus handsets. Uh, and uh, what do we got? A, a new version of Android. Um, I think that uh, you can expect a new version of Android, and usually with that comes uh, a couple of uh, a couple of Nexus phones, or mm. at least a Nexus phone. Um, maybe a, maybe a tablet. Maybe I haven't seen a lot of rumours around. No, there hasn't uh, been, has about there? the tablet. Yeah, um, but um, you know, perhaps perhaps more than one vendor is uh, being widely tipped for the for the Nexus phones. Um, you know, I think I think the, the challenge for Google is that the, the Nexus phone. Has it's continued to be quite a quite a niche, um, you know, audience. Very, very, um, very keen audience on those products, but but I think they haven't managed to get them out into the mainstream. And this is what must be fifth year, is it, of Nexus? Uh, oh, maybe longer. Crikey, sixth, seventh year of Nexus phones. It seems to be a long time to be trying to get them. Trying to get them out there, you know, there was the HTC ones originally weren't mm, there, and the Nexus mm. Galaxy, and that's going back a wee way. So, you know, it feels that that, you know, if if you're doing a flagship device to sort of show off your software, and then you know the other phones are going to come through, that's fine. But if you want to build the Nexus brand into a category, I think that's probably the piece they're still struggling with. Um, but uh, yeah, look, let's see. Let's see what's in an uh, Android M. Um, of course, then you wait for all the Android to, Marshmallow, isn't it? Yeah, indeed. Wait for all the vendors to you know then come through with their timeframes. Um, obviously, the uh, you know anyone with a Galaxy S will be wanting to get uh, the new version on that as quickly as possible. And I know our uh, our social media guys start getting flooded with questions from everybody about when will my little phone get uh, upgraded. And uh, you know we try and push those out as quickly as we can, but it does you know it is a big piece of work, and each each um, each vendor has their own time frame, and then for certain models it'll come out first and come out for others later on. Um, but um, yeah, there seems to be a you know a bit of stuff happening in, in Android M around sort of context awareness and things, which looks uh, taking it to the next level. Um, and I guess you know what's interesting, of course, is that the announcements come so close together, don't they? Apple's big event, and then. Google's big event. Um, they're now on a, on a very similar time frame. Yeah, it's curious, isn't it? Um, yeah, there's still that frustration on the Android side of, of how difficult it is to get the latest version of Android onto your devices. As, as you're alluding to, you're going to get lots of communications. It's just... It's a big minefield, really. So, uh, yeah. It's, 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 I guess it's, it's not... There's never been a very clear policy around how long any particular model is going to get supported for how many versions of you know of android afterwards and i think it varies a lot doesn't it, it there's, sure there's does. certainly not a, a level of consistency yeah uh, and especially the lower cost devices you're often uh, 
um, out of luck, shall we say. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. A, few, yeah. a few other rumours for that event, of course, as well. It's uh, a new uh, Chromecast, upgraded Chromecast model. Yeah, it could be good. Anything else? Is that the big... That was it? I think that's... That's about it for that one, so, yeah. I'll probably still get up, I think, 5am our time. Yeah, it's not too early, is it? It's... Um I'm sure there'll be lots, lots of people getting up, getting up for that one. It is nicer when it's a little bit closer to a, a normal hour. And is there an All Blacks game on around the same? Is there something else oh, over, overlapping with it the same day? You're going to be sort of flicking Question. backwards Sorry, and forwards me, between let me, a. Let me just quickly pull up my rugby a, world uh, cup. App, rugby right? rugby world cup game, and uh, you know, one eye on that, and uh, one eye on uh, you know Google's announcements. Just just bring up my uh, Rugby World Cup app, which actually I've found uh, really good. It has the highlights for games loaded into it very quickly after um, they've been played. This is a video video highlights? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty handy. Um, all right, well, just wrapping up. Um, Tongan oh. tong, tong tong Namibia. Oh, okay. Mm. It's, it's not um, mm. not the biggest, the biggest game. Um but I'm sure there'll be there'll be a, a bunch of people that'll be keen to see it for sure. Um, Al, where do we track you down online? Well, you can track me down as DemitasNZ. So I'm on Twitter as at DemitasNZ, and my blog is DemitasNZ. I picked up one of those spiffy.nz domain names a while ago to match up with my Twitter handle. Excellent, excellent, good stuff. Uh, and Tim, oh, Timmy Hay on Twitter. Excellent. Not prolific though. Not a prolific Twitterer. All right. All right. Oh, well, thank you both for uh, for joining me on the New Zealand Tech Podcast this week. Uh, listeners can uh, can track me down at Paul Spain on uh, on Twitter. You can also find me on uh, Facebook and the other social networks. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening in. We'll catch you again next week. All right, see ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.